live streaming is on. Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is August the 28th. 2020 strong hand long-term thinking offended by selling buy and hold this game is not rigged we're one day closer to an all-time high apex predator be relentless people insider information i got you some unique beast here hello my elite friends welcome on this beautiful friday afternoon to this week in bitcoin show uh the great juan galt and btc sessions benny have returned and Andy Edstrom makes his freaking debut on the show. At long last, he is here. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to start off the show with a question for him. And there was I warned everyone this week that the Fed was going to make an announcement about a new inflation target. And, oh, we had to worship the uh, chairman. And, oh, we should be scared. And Bitcoin didn't seem to care very much. But it does have some long-term implications on the economy and uh, why people even buy Bitcoin. <laughs> if, the, if the government is straight up in, uh, saying they don't have to worry about 2% inflation anymore. So, uh, Ed, what, what, what's your take on this? Explain uh, what Jerome Powell did and what, what it means. Yeah. So I think first of all, I, 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 I called you, you Ed. What I'm saying. Ed Strom. That's right. It's Ed Strom, but it's Andrew. Right. Yeah. If there's any doubt, you can just read, uh, read the name down here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so the Fed. Um, here's my thoughts on the Fed. The first was the market. So the Fed delivered or announced something a little different than what some were expecting. Some people were expecting a more aggressive policy announcement. Some people were expecting what they call yield curve control. This has been going on in Japan for years now. And the idea is, oh, the Fed or the central bank of whatever country you're talking about, says, hey, we're going to not let yields rise above any particular level along the whole yield curve, whether it's you know one year, three year, five year, 10 year. In Japan, what they've done is they pinned the 10 year yield, the 10 year government bond basically to zero. Now that did not happen. What happened instead was an announcement about symmetry in the inflation target. Now, if you'll humor me, I want to read just something short. It's only about five sentences. Okay. The Federal Reserve is already laying the groundwork for lower interest rates today. On May 1st, 2019, the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC, issued its periodic statement. More prominent than usual was its use of the word symmetric with respect to its 2% annual inflation goal. This highlights the fact that the Fed's mandate is to hit 2% inflation on average, which means that for every year it falls short of 2%, it should overshoot in another year to make up the difference. So basically, given that the Fed has undershot its 2% target for years now, it's highlighting the idea that it could reasonably seek to overshoot the 2% target. So what am I reading? Well, I'm sorry, guys, but I couldn't help myself. I'm reading from page 59 of this, <laughs> which is my book that I published a year ago. And the point is the Fed just, quote unquote, announced what they'd already basically been shooting at for years now. They've been talking about, hey, our inflation target is symmetric, which means if we've undershot it, then we should overshoot for a while. And, you know, the, the market, I guess, was sort of surprised by this. 
but they've been signaling this this announcement or this policy, let's say, for at least a year now and probably longer. And by the way, they've they failed to hit two percent inflation by their stated target. But I would say that the announcement sort of underscores or augments this idea that hey, if we've undershot for years, now we're going to overshoot. So that's my take. Well, I got to say one thing here. They, they they say they've undershot for years, but come on now. They, <laughs> we've really had, I mean, but the, the way they define it, they have. I mean, you can twist the numbers any way you want to. Uh, they, they, they're now they're saying, yeah, okay, we, we, we undershot. Now we're straight up. We're going to make up the difference. But there's been real inflation all along. I mean, there's been real inflation. I mean, this is it's nonsense. This is this is all numbers games. And I mean, my my big take takeaway from the whole thing is that it, it's a bunch of mumbo jumbo. And the, the, the simplify it. We haven't. We've had inflation. We're going to continue to have inflation. The money printer is going to keep on going burr. Uh, so and he says this so everybody stays confident in the economy and keeps on buying into this. If you're smart. You, you should know if you don't want to play this game, opt out in the Bitcoin. I mean, that, that, that's my big take on it. So, uh, but and, and Bitcoin didn't crash, and Bitcoin. I mean, nothing too, nothing really bad happened after the event. I thought there. I mean, I think it pumped for a little bit, but whatever. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't. I don't worry about Jerome Powell because I. I mean, I'm in Bitcoin. So let, let's see if the Canadian here. Uh, well, we got two Canadians actually. Uh, BTC sessions. What was your take on it? Uh, I mean. Again, the way that they measure inflation is questionable <laughs> in the first place, right? Like the they they're looking at the what the CPI, right? Is that is that what they're they're looking at? And so, um, if you're if you're looking at what people actually spend their money on, um, I think it was Guy Swan that put me onto this website, but the ChapwoodIndex.com it has city by city because expenses can vary depending on where you live, but it shows like the top. 500 expenditures of the average American in each city and the inflation rate of those actual items. And, and when you look at the year to year inflation with the, with the top 500 things that people spend their money on, it is staggering. It's double digits every year, like New York, Back to 2016, I'm looking at it right now, 10.8%. 2017 was 11.2, then 12.6, then 12.1. The first half of 2020, 12.7%. And, and that's what people spend their money on, their most common expenditures. So when they say that they've been missing their target of 2%, it's just kind of like it's bull. It's not, it's, it's not what the average person spending their money and trying to scrape by is actually seeing there's there's so little that they account for there um so yeah like i to me his <laughs> when it comes to regular americans this speech was rather inconsequential in the fact that you're already experiencing way more than their targeted inflation if anything it's worse uh <laughs> It's going to be worse for people everywhere because they're really just we're we're not going to care about it anymore. So um, the only people it doesn't really matter to are, I guess, people like us that have opted out. Um, and so that's that's I've really been opting out a lot lately, if you know what I mean. So yeah, wh whatever. All right, Juan Galt, did you do you have any uh, thoughts after er everything that's been said here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it really shows how disconnected the, these academics are from 
from you know the, the actual normal life of people like real estate prices have been just straight up rising and that's not because the real estate is amazing or the infrastructure is just booming or everything is glowing it's because people don't have anywhere to park their money um rent is rising everything is getting more expensive like i'm not uh, you know i travel to the united states here once in a while and it's it's really expensive compared to pretty much anywhere else in the world and you think it would be cheaper given that it's the center of capitalism worldwide the beacon of capitalism but everything's way more expensive right um and yeah so i mean i think i think we're gonna see we're gonna see sort of real like like further loss of purchasing power in the market and I, I just find it really interesting that right as this is happening, there's been three announcements by you know significantly sized private businesses that are saying that they're gonna they're gonna start holding their wealth in Bitcoin because they're basically just losing money holding it in dollars. Um, I think that's really exciting. I think that is that might be the beginning of a trend, and this is exactly what we would expect and want to see in Bitcoin. And uh, hopefully there'll be a lot more of it because yeah, they're right. Like they, you know. The dollar is in decline, and and you know, I mean, I could honestly see it, see everything that we see in the in the stock market and the dollar continue for the next four years if 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 there's a re-election and there's not a civil war, but that's probably as far as it can go, you know. So um, anyway, just huddle on. Oh, now pound that like button because Juan Galt read my mind. He brought up a subject matter that we were going to talk about later. So in in one part of the world everyone's worried about what the fed dude says and they try to uh make it make their uh arrangements around what he says all right in the real world the, and say that's the big story of the day the fed has spoken to me the big story of the day is what juan just mentioned it's the big story of the year how microstrategy bought uses bitcoin as its reserve asset right now and what juan, juan referred to is there's some canadian companies smaller ones at that that are also using uh the the uh, bitcoin as its uh, reserve asset okay uh now i i love that this is going on i thought the microstrategy announcement again was the biggest news of the year it was from two weeks ago now but the uh one of those Canadian companies made that their announcement this week so we'll, we'll go to another Canadian here uh BTC Benny uh you know about these other companies small Canadian companies I think uh part of the reason that you know and I don't blame them you know to put it out there on social media is it's gonna it's gonna help their brand a lot I mean they saw that how popular the MicroStrategy uh tweet got so why not say say so I really hope they did it um but do you see this as a trend uh BTC Benny and do you have any uh a Canadian take on it since those two companies were Canadian after a microstrategy that made their announcement. Yeah, I mean, I think I think outside of the U.S., it might be even looked at as more attractive to be taking these types of moves. Um, if if I'm again, and I'm kind of guessing here, but I would say that the last domino to fall would be the world reserve currency if we were moving towards something different, right? If we we're moving towards a Bitcoin standard. The last domino to fall would be the the uh, the currency that everybody kind of needs to use. Um, but when you're dealing with other currencies, smaller currencies that don't have as much demand, um, they're likely going to inflate quicker than than the U.S. dollar over time. Um, and so I think, I mean, again, like I I I see how much the value of the Canadian dollar can fluctuate versus the US dollar. At one point we're at parity, 
Um, and that's definitely not the case now. Um, and so, yeah, like the one was, uh, the company was Tahini's, I believe, and they've yeah. got a restaurant chain. The other one was Snappa. By the way, the post by Snappa, the actual blog post that they put up, man, that was a killer post because they went deep into detail. They went into the history of money. They started talking about rye stones and angry beads and, and how what was thought to be a sound money was displaced by people coming in that could duplicate the money and, and dilute it very easily. Um, and then they went into like the, the, how Bitcoin is built and how it guarantees scarcity. Like they knew their stuff. They did their research as I'm sure MicroStrategy and Tahini's even did. Um, but it just kind of shows like they, they're hardcore about it. They understand what they're getting into. Um, and I definitely think this is a trend to, to kind of, tag on to this uh there was an interview with plan b and i i can't remember what podcast it was on but he was talking about um his stock to flow model based on uh phase transitions where he's talking about moving from different narratives and and use cases and um a lot of people make the jump from individuals using bitcoin to nation states using bitcoin but there's this interim where he said it's more likely that you're going to get uh, companies and institutions using this as a reserve asset first. And that could potentially be this next kind of cycle, which coincides with the having actually quite beautifully starting to see this. And maybe the next time around is where we start to see nation states jump on board. So I would not be surprised to see this kind of Bitcoin epoch to be the epoch of of institutions moving to this as at least a portion of their their reserves. And then the next epoch, we start to see nation states jump on board because they realize that companies have done so well from it. So uh, yeah, I, I, it's exciting to see. I 100% agree this micro strategy thing was massive. And also because it wasn't a small allocation, they took I think it was 250 million of their 500 million dollars of liquid cash and just dumped it into Bitcoin. Uh, and that that takes uh, that the person is is well endowed in the nether regions, we'll say, for having done that. <laughs> Pound that like button for phrasing it that way because it's a family channel. All right, hey, and I want to say you. You pointed out that that dude from Canada had a really great post explaining why they jumped into it. Well, it wasn't a jump. It was very well thought out. It is linked to below, actually. His tweet is, so you can click on his tweet. All three of these dudes that are on the show, their Twitter, Twitters are linked to below also. So follow all of them. Andy, uh, your take on what we've been talking about here, uh, these these companies uh, and getting into Bitcoin. And uh, is and but and I want to point out uh, BTC Benny before I leave your Canadian topic. I don't know how anybody you know ca Canadians. It's it's a great country, gr gr strong country, but uh, they got to see that th this uh, what's going on now. The the, the, the Canadian dollar has fallen uh, faster than the United States. Why value your wealth in loonies or whatever they call it, Canadian dollars now is beyond me. And all Canadians can get they can get into the U.S. dollar if they want to, but they all can get into Bitcoin too. So there's there's no excuse. Um, I mean, it's not it's not like hyperinflation is on the way to Canada or anything, but it's a, it's a worse way of life. And I just don't 
I think I, too many people are stuck in the paradigm there. Oh, I'm keeping my money in the Canadian bank. Ha ha ha. Dude, oh, I mean, yeah, this is, no. this is not the time to do that at all. And I, I'm glad, and I think there is something to be said that some of these, these are Canadian companies that are doing this. Yeah. Um, don't be a loony. I, Get out of the loony. I think it, it is better for, I think it is better for companies, and individuals outside the United States to do this, to, to make Bitcoin their reserve currency, their reserve asset. Uh, because you're in and if I mean maybe if maybe if you're in the yen or the euro it's a little different but these second tier these second tier currencies they seem great until they're not great so all right sorry about that little but I, I did want to point that out a Andy you can you can take it away now yeah yeah no I agree with all that I agree with BTC sessions you know even though this is you know this news is as you say a couple weeks old it all bears repeating right this is huge um I Pardon the shill, but uh, I, I squared off with Preston Pish, and we talked about this uh, just a couple nights ago on the Swan Signal podcast, which uh, I encourage people to check out. And yeah, it's it's huge. It's right that you know, it's it's, it's interesting that it's an American company that 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 came in in size. I love the quantity, right? Because you pointed out it's two hundred, approximately two hundred fifty million. My favorite thing about it, though, is is that it's twenty one thousand roughly bitcoins, right? Very convenient number. It's almost exactly 0.1% of the entire supply. So 0.1% of Bitcoin, those are off, those are off the market, at least probably for this cycle. And it doesn't take too many 0.1% you know, buys for uh <laughs> to, to because we know the that the hodlers like you and me and a lot of people listening on this call, you know, we ain't selling. My Bitcoin ain't for sale. Um Certainly not at it at any price, you know, within an order of magnitude or two of where we are right now. So it's huge news. The other thing, and I'm sorry to repeat what I said on this other pod, was it's one thing for companies that uh, that basically go public, you know, they put a third of their treasury in. I mean, that's huge. That's material. That's board level, uh, you know, decision probably that had to go into that. What's interesting to think about too, though, is. How many CFOs and treasurers are saying, eh, how about 2%, right? And that's that doesn't really rise to the level of, of materiality, right? We have this concept in in uh, in finance, which is you know enough to matter basically for the shareholders of the company. Well, if it's not material, they can do it without announcing it. So I think you know, for every uh, microstrategy, right? For every Michael Saylor who's like, I'm all in, <laughs> there's how many um, who are sort of quietly going to accumulate, put one to two percent of their treasury in? You know, the CFOs. You know, the CFO talks to the treasurer. The treasurer's like, you know, I'd like to put one to two two points of our treasury into into Bitcoin. And the CFO's like, yeah, sure. You know, maybe we're an international company. Obviously, we have we hold a lot of dollars, but maybe we hold some euros. Maybe we hold some yen. Um, one to two percent Bitcoin. Sure. What the hell. Yeah, I, I think I, it's it's great that com that certain uh, companies are structured in that way where they don't. I didn't. That that's a really good point. I thought you always need the board's approval or something like that to make such a. Yeah, yeah not if it doesn't. You know, if it's small enough size, um, you know, it's it's considered sort of normal course in 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 uh, in business. Now, I I think you're right that it, it may depend on you know the case or the situation. Some boards may keep sort of a tighter leash right on their management team. Others are happier to, to delegate authority. Um, you know, with private companies, 
private companies can run themselves, you know, as they see fit, you know, within the confines of the law, basically. And so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that it's uh, smart Canadians that have figured out that this is all, you know, also that this is a good idea. And for every one of them that's announced it publicly, you know, there may be 10 that are, that are just, you know, nibbling a little bit. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I, again, I thought it was it's such a huge, finally, you get that confirmation that a, a, a very large company bought 0.1% of all the Bitcoin out there. And then if a hundred companies do that, it's unbelievable the difference that it makes. So may that happen soon. And all you individuals out there, you better think of it that way because you probably can't buy 0.1% of all, all the Bitcoin out there, but there are plenty of companies that do, and you want to do it. You want to get your piece of the pie. Uh, you want to get out of no coiner land before they get into uh, elite status land. All right, dudes, a uh, reminder, yesterday's show was uh, we had a guest on from Venezuela. The great Gabriel made his return. Check it out, dudes. It is uh, linked to below. All the archives are linked to below. Let's move into some Bitcoin drama, Bitcoin Yenta stuff here, gossip. I, I'm not a big fan of this kind of thing, but we got to talk about it because it was news. Uh, we'll start out with Benny with this, this INX token and uh, the, 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 their Bitcoin – they're dudes in Bitcoin who yeah. built, uh, who got involved with a, a token on Ethereum in order to start an exchange in a unique way. Uh, for, for me, I mean, it doesn't really, I mean, and, and yet they had spoken not so great of Ethereum in the past. It, it gives them, it definitely, let, I mean, it, it shows that Ethereum is not a scam in their eyes because they, they acted upon it. They, they're, they're using it. They're not. So, uh, the BTC better you can you can give your take on this and what what the heck yeah. is going on? <laughs> yeah, so um, there's there's a level of nuance to this. Like I uh, like out the gate, I'll say I I think the thing is trash. I have no interest in it whatsoever. But um, let's kind of look at what's actually happening. So the token is INX. The idea is that's like based, effectively like an exchange token, and it's a fundraise prior to launching the actual exchange, I believe. Um, the token itself, uh, like a lot of other exchange tokens, not only gets you uh, discounts on trading fees and stuff like that um, and staking and all that kind of stuff, but it also gives you, it's, it's a real SEC regulated security that gives you um, a percentage of the revenues from the actual exchange when it launches. Now, for me, like the ICO boom, the reason that one of the reasons that people were so against it and thought it was so ridiculous was the tokens you were buying were not securities. They their ICOs is a play on IPO, initial public offering, which would be for a you know a, a security for a company. Um, this it. ICOs were not that. Um, you got a token which carried basically no guarantees of anything uh, or any cash flows or there, there were promises of nothing. Essentially, you were buying a useless token that could or could not go up in value depending on what happened with it. And furthermore, you could have the company do quite well and the token be totally useless. And those things were in no way like tied to each other um, with this. 
it is indeed a token that's tied to the success of the business. So at least there's that. However, the individuals that that ad advised on this and got a kickback of, of buying the token at a severely reduced price, um, there a, a number of them are noted like Bitcoin maximalists. And so the main issue that I see is it's it's an ERC-20 token based on Ethereum. So for anybody that said that Ethereum is trash, the base layer itself is, is questionable to use as a solid infrastructure or anything, if you're backing and promoting that, then there seems to be a conflict with what you're saying and what you're doing. Um, the security part of it, I, I think there's some value in having like a security that you can hold yourself um, as opposed to leaving it with a custodian, because uh, in my eyes, that takes away the ability for that security to be rehypothecated, which is nice. Or uh, for those unsure what that means, the ability of fractional reserve to happen on your shares of a company. So I find that to be an interesting idea. But Francis Pouliot had a very excellent uh, tweet thread on kind of looking into what people were actually getting. Uh, and in that thread, um, he noted that you're guaranteed a percentage of revenues, but there's no guarantee you'll actually ever get any revenues because they have to first pay off any overhead that they've had to cover. And so far, they're negative $4 million. So that's got to be paid first before any kickbacks are paid to token holders. So don't expect major kickbacks anytime soon. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of levels to this. Um, I think all in all, I just, I don't care about it. I don't want it. Uh, and I do find it kind of, eh, that somebody would, uh, uh, basically hate on Ethereum so much, but then shill a token that's an ERC 20. So I don't know. That's, that's my hot take there. Very good summary there. Uh, Juan Gold, I saw you retweeted something about this mm -hmm. from, uh, old, uh, ugly old goat. What's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take a, a somewhat contrarian position here to the general Bitcoin community on this topic. I think, I mean, there, there's a lot of questions and I'm going to have some of these prominent uh, Bitcoiners on the Ugly Old Goat show soon to talk about the topic, including Bruce Fenton next Wednesday, which I'm looking forward to. He's actually a security sort of financial expert type guy. So looking forward to that. Um, but I mean, I think I'm very frustrated with people's response to this because there is more things in the world than in economies and in finance than money. Like money is really important, but there's more stuff than that. Um, you need, you need investment. You need capital to have capitalism in order to have capitalism. You need vehicles of investment. Now the problem with the ICOs is that these companies were unregulated, unvetted, not audited. We didn't have infrastructure to audit these companies and at least sort of keep them in check and so on. So they could, it was an asymmetric trade. They would create a token out of nothing, sell it pre-IC over here, and then give it to a global public with great shining marketing. And then they could just leave. And they, oftentimes they were anonymous. Oftentimes they had fake uh, advisors and fake team members. It, it was, the, 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 the stage was set for scams. But these guys have, as far as I can tell, and I'm no lawyer, they've gone through every step of legitimacy that our society has set up in order to make these kind of investment vehicles actually reasonably, you know, not, not entirely unsafe and risky, right? 
And I think that's, that's a good thing, first of all, because it's sort of, it's taking it to the next level. It's sort of doing it, it's, it's showing good faith, right? Second of all, exchanges are the most profitable business in Bitcoin and crypto that has ever happened in the whole history of this industry. Nobody else has made any money in this industry. It's only been exchanges and being $4 million to $7 million in, in, in the hole right now, that's nothing compared to, compared to what exchanges make if they are reasonably successful. I think the questions are, why would you create an Ethereum token and who is able to buy this token? What is the barrier to entry here? Um, I try to buy it just to see what happens. And I wasn't allowed from Mexico. So apparently only the seven states that have approved their licensing are, are, are cleared for, for purchase. But, but, if, but apparently they, it's, theoretically they could go through the, to the whole world. Um, that's where I, an area where I want to have more, I want to get more answers and more facts about that. Because why not just, the question remains, why not just launch it on the stock market? Their answer so far is that they want to do micro equities. So you could invest in the, 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 that ugly Elon Musk Tesla truck that I want to get, but you don't have to invest in all of Tesla if you don't like the, 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 the speed car, right? The racer. I'm sorry, I'm blacking out on the names right now. And so, so that's Cybertruck. Cyber the Cybertruck, right? And so that's a kind of innovation. I think that's interesting. And, and as an exchange, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come and bring their 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 financial assets to it, assuming that they actually get regulated or, or that there's there's some sort of accountability to balance out that asymmetry. Is that going to happen? I don't know. You know, is the team does the team have what it takes? Maybe, right? Um, I think the biggest the biggest kind of issue I think is pr primarily I think Samsung Mao has been the biggest anti-Ethereum sort of proponent there. He looks like a hypocrite on this. And in Jameson Lobb's tweet on the matter was like guaranteed share of profits. That was the worst thing you could have said on a tweet. Like, like tweets, tweets already reduce all nuance to 400 and something characters. And you're going to add to the lack of nuance by saying guaranteed profits. That's what pissed me off. But so I think there's definitely a lot of concerns on the marketing. But you know what we need like capitalism requires capital i don't think i don't think we're going to get anywhere by being sort of monetary absolutists or something like that or, or monetary socialists right like only bitcoin everything else illegal right like come on guys you gotta we gotta we gotta we gotta find the nuance here and i think that this reaction is to some degree the the fruit of of a reactionary movement to the amount of scams that happened from ethereum in the ico movement which is understandable but i think it's important to to educate and, and bring nuance to the topic. So I'm going to be having the conversations with them on the Ugly Little Goat Show. We'll see where we end up. I'm, I'm, I'm just not taking out my pitchfork yet. That's basically where I'm at. I, I wanted to say regarding Samson, um, he, I, there was a reply to a tweet or something, uh, and I think it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he said something along the lines of, I only advised for these guys because Lop told me that they would migrate it to liquid ASAP. So I don't know how much of that was. I think he was kind of like joking there, but anyways, yeah. yeah. Well, just a quick note on the, on, the, on the liquid thing. Their, their explanation for why it's on Ethereum is that liquid didn't exist at the time that they started doing the, the, the compliance stuff, which was like two, three years ago. So maybe they will move it to liquid. Which no, they, it, it, that's, that's I, with Tone Vase talked about that. And I mean, they got SEC approval 
by saying it's on the Ethereum blockchain. If they if they all of a sudden change where it is, uh, there are going to be questions. I mean, once you're playing yep. in that regulated realm, you you just can't switch and change and do this and the other. Uh, before we get to Andy here, I want to read a, a, a question from the audience, and Andy, you can you can hit on this if you wanted to. I think the question for INX is the same as it has been for everything done in Ethereum. Why does this need a blockchain? <laughs> Good point. All right, uh, Andy, you can comment on that or just on the, the larger INX a, a, as a whole. Yeah, so maybe I'll take, I will respond to that question and I'll and I'll give my two cents. So yeah, why why indeed, if you're gonna have a regulated uh, security, why bother with the blockchain? Now, I actually am in the camp that someday there's some reasonable chance that most assets you know will trade on some kind of decentralized protocol let's just say the second thing i'll say is who cares <laughs> which is which is to say when i when i think about these days and for the foreseeable future how i want to focus my time my priority is the most important you know investment decision in this whole space whatever however you want to label it for people right now right, is buy a Bitcoin, like get your allocation, get your hard money asset in your portfolio. And, and, you know, and that's, that's the thing to focus on. I do worry that I do worry about a repeat of 2017, which is all this noise around all these other assets, you know, whether it's Ethereum or anything else, and people being <laughs> DeFi. <distracted. laughs> exactly, people being distracted by these by these shiny alternatives. And 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 new people coming into the space, and uh, you know, as as Bitstein says, everyone's a scammer, and sort of basically allocating their precious uh, assets, fiat most likely, into things other than Bitcoin. You know, is there are these things interesting? Sure. Is there money to be made if you're if you're a really great trader? Yeah, probably. And so, what percent of people is that? I don't know, one percent, right? And everybody thinks that they can, you know, make money in that casino, or a lot of people do. And I just, I think it's for most people, it's a distraction. And so when I, you know, when I think about how I want to spend my time, I want to spend time educating people about Bitcoin and getting whatever allocation is appropriate for them. And you know, the rest to me is 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 mostly noise and distraction. And maybe it's stuff that'll work you know, 10 years or more from now, but, um, but that's my take. Yeah. It's, it, this has gotten wrapped up in the, uh, in, in Twitter drama. Definitely. I mean, I think we could boil it down to it's, it's, it's become such a huge story because some of the dudes were such big talkers about a, a Ethereum, uh, not being so hot to trot. And yeah. now, now, now this happens. So again, people don't get caught up in the drama. I think you, you learn, Learn what learn what's going on, and another thing, keep it simple. Uh, keep it simple. These guys are, are complicating matters, and that's their business. Hey, I I say compete, don't complain. They can make their own Ethereum token. They can make their own exchange. That's cool. Uh, I keep it simple, just by holding that Bitcoin. Just like you said, don't get distracted by those big, those new shiny things out there. But we're always going to have new, and we're going to talk about DeFi at the end of the show too, because it's just it's too it's too big to ignore. But since we got Andy here right now, uh. It, so, something that's too big to ignore is the Barry Silbert. This dude is in like every corner of cryptocurrency, isn't he? So now there's an article, Digital Currency Group enters the uh, Bitcoin mining industry. 
<laughs> everything. I mean, he's in every aspect, and that's great. I mean, he's in motion. That's that's my take on it. But uh, what's your take here, Andy? Yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> what you said is spot on. Um, and and to I guess to Barry's credit, I don't think he's he's hidden this, which is he wants his finger in every pie, let's say in crypto, right? And I think he means that broadly, right? I mean, I'll never forget when I think he disclosed, I don't remember if it was the parent company, DCG, or one of the subsidiaries, he disclosed, you know, what assets they had on their balance sheet. And, you know, the biggest was Bitcoin, but there was, I don't know, five or six other ones. This was, I think, a few years ago. And yeah, I don't remember the latest number, but I think he's made something like 100, 150 investments in the space broadly, you know, across, uh, you know, OTC desks, you know, custody companies, trading companies, you know, tax prep. I mean, anything that touches, you know, Bitcoin or crypto, he's in it. So, so this is no surprise. Now, another thing I will say is, um, I think it's great that there is investment in mining. Um, this is, you know, simultaneously a very important piece of the puzzle. Obviously, it's crucial. Secondly, it's it's pretty opaque, right? I mean, it's I'll say I'm no expert um, on the mining sector and, and the goings on. And I think actually the, the information flow about mining in general is probably among the worst in terms of, you know, what's going on with exchanges and people and corporate participation and the protocol and the devs and all that stuff. Mining's pretty opaque. Um, so I think it's great that there's capital flowing in. The second thing is I think it's great that there's capital flowing in in not China, right? <laughs> because <laughs> for the future of Bitcoin, it is important. It is important that the hash rate gets distributed more broadly, right? We need more nodes in different places. We need more hash power in different places. We need more hash power, you know, subject to different jurisdictions in different different geographies, you know, using different types of energy. I mean, diversify, diversify, diversify all of this decentralized, decentralized. So I think that's great. I think it's also interesting that, um, well, we can peel, I guess I'll say this is, you know, they've got several um, announced areas of business. One is what they call mining advisory service. Uh, another is equipment financing and procurement. And then the last is um, what they call their foundry labs, which is maybe the, the vaguest of the, of the of those three activities. But I think it's if I look at the second area, which is equipment financing and procurement, this is pretty interesting and it's pretty important because, you know, a mature industry, regardless of the industry, but especially, let's say, a commodity producing industry, which is probably the closest analogy, right, for Bitcoin mining, they're actually producing quote unquote, you know, the, the, the valuable monetary commodity, which is Bitcoin. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but, it, but it's close. Um, it is important that these guys have access to financing. And as we all know, the history of, of, uh, of the mining industry, I mean, it's, it's been, uh, you know, it's the wild west uh, slash piracy. Um, I mean, it's just mayhem, right? And it's, you know, it's been dominated by Bitmain and there's sort of been ebbing and flowing of new entrants, new companies coming in, you know, getting competed out. And one of the major problems for any young industry is access to capital. So these guys, so, so these guys actually are able to provide financing, whether it's, you know, equity capital, you know, just buying a stake in these mining operations or better yet, whether it's debt financing, which is usually much cheaper capital, right? That's a major milestone to me 
in the development of the industry um, overall. So look, I think it's it's net positive. You know, I love that Peter Thiel's investing, you know, in in North American mining capacity. You know, I love what the upstream data guys are doing. I love, you know, I know there's some mines being built in um, in Texas. Um, of course, you know, there's stuff going on in Washington. That's been a struggle. I'm actually curious about the Canadian. My my understanding of the Canadian situation is it's it's been somewhat of an uphill battle. Um, but but I think that more activity and more funding and more maturation of the mining sector or the mining industry in general outside of China is is great. Yes, I I, I agree. And is is Barry Silver too big to fail? I mean, no, no. He, he is. He is. Uh, I give him all the credit in the world for getting into this. And good, more miners. And yeah, upstream data dude, of course, has been on our show before. Great dude, Benny knows him. Uh, we'll move on. To, we'll move on to Benny uh, here. What's your take on this, uh, uh, Barry Silbert and uh, mining now? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have too much to add to uh, what Andy had there, but um, like like he said, it's it's positive that you're starting to see a greater decentralization of mining and it's proliferating across the globe um, wherever it's most efficient. Again, uh, talking about uh, Steve Barber with Upstream Data, they're they're uh, targeting kind of oil and gas. Uh, uh, natural gas flares and and stranded uh stranded resources in in mid middle and northern alberta um yeah so it's it is definitely cool to kind of see uh the fud around the centralization of, of mining in china start to dissolve we've kind of seen this well, I mean, maybe kind of like a fall of fall from grace for Bitmain. Um, what everybody thought was going to be like this absolute behemoth that nobody could overcome very much seems to not be the case anymore. Um, you have people like even Marty Bent with uh, Great American Mining um, and the stuff that they're doing in the U.S. You're seeing a lot of it everywhere. It makes sense that Barry, who literally has his fingers like this all through everything, he's going to want to get involved in that aspect of it. Um, it seems like Barry's got this kind of like spray and pray approach, uh, but lack of conviction in just Bitcoin. He's just kind of like all the coins and he's just like mowing them down and trying to take what he can. Um, it was interesting, the the pushback on the 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 ad that they put out because they had such a positive reception for their first uh, DCG um, grayscale investment uh, drop gold ad. And then the second one they had like Bitcoin and then like whatever trash they had listed below it. And everybody's boo. Um, yeah. But I mean, Barry Shilbert going to shill, right? So he's, he's got to get in everything. So yeah. And whatever. Good for him. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, uh, Juan Galt, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a point of clarification. Um, there's Alan, uh, Alan Silbert, and then there's Barry Silbert. Uh, yeah. Alan is Barry's brother, and uh, Alan is the one that's actually working with INX. I don't see anything about Barry Silbert being involved, though he might be an investor if that's not you know named or something like that. Um, so that's a little different. And Alan was, in my memory, much more of a of a maximalist and took the right side of the fork when the drama happened. Whereas Barry Silbert actually pushed Segwit to X, and all of his companies pushed Segwit to X. So Barry Silbert has a question reputation from that point of view, even though it's been a few years. You know, 
he's much more of a of a shit corner, right? So so that's important. But I mean, other than that, yeah, I mean, echo what what everybody else said. You know, it's great to have more Bitcoin mining in America. I think we need a lot more of it. Um, think about this fact. I was I was talking to um, the owner of a network of ATMs in Arizona, and he says that his biggest problem is sourcing Bitcoin locally because all of the Bitcoin comes from China, and so you gotta you know gotta go through multiple connections or fly to China and build connections in order to buy the Bitcoin. And how is he gonna? flip it for cash in dollars and the, he's only getting cash from atms so um i think one of the solutions is producing bitcoin in the united states or in, in america and that will that will actually improve the market here improve the liquidity lower the 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 prices in in sort of retail bitcoin so there's a lot of good reasons to have bitcoin mining in in in, in our side of the pond all right. Uh, interesting that you brought up uh, uh, the, the, the other Silbert there, tying it back into the uh, previous uh, story. Indeed, he is uh, the, the brother Silbert is involved with the other story, but Barry is not. Now, let's uh, well, well, I got Juan Galt here. We're talking about big names. Let's talk about a fluff uh, article from today uh, for, about the Winklevi, because people are going to want to talk about the Winklevi. They, I guess the, the question is, uh, do they say these statements just to get attention, to get marketing, to get uh, clients, or do they say it to get attention and to, to help Bitcoin, a combo of the two? But yeah, they got a, uh, they got an article out there that uh, Bitcoin uh, should hit $500,000 and that to them it is it is the true gold. And I, I agree that Bitcoin is uh, is the true gold. I like that. I like their anti-gold stance uh, or, or, or the move on from gold stance, I guess we mean. But the, God, the clickbait, the 500,000. I mean, oh, God, this is uh, how, how this is never going to end. Uh, they, all the every big name out there from Max Kaiser to Winklevoss, they all got to state some huge, tremendous number out there. So what are, what's your your latest take here on the Winklevi and their $500,000 announcement here? Uh, yeah, I mean, all the possibilities of why they're doing, I would say just all of the above, you know? It's, uh, it's, it's great marketing. It makes them look good. It, they're all, all these guys are like, you know, putting bets and trying to measure who gets closer, right? So there's probably a game at that level too. And um, and yeah, and they need they need whales to come into their exchange to... to um, to Gemini, so so they're 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 selling they're selling Bitcoin and and that's fine you know sell it. I mean, I, when is it going to hit five hundred thousand dollars? I mean, I think it's not going to be tomorrow. Though it, I mean, I don't think it could be tomorrow. It could be. I had a dream. I think I told you about this in another show. I had a dream that it was like the Bitcoin was like seven thousand dollars, and then I woke up the next day and it was thirty thousand dollars. And like that could happen. Like I feel like that could actually happen. Five hundred thousand will probably take a few years, but like, my, what I'm expecting in the price is just a slow, steady rise, and then maybe some some volatility swings once we break new the new all time high and so on. Because there'll be we won't know where where the roof is there, but um, it's exciting. Yeah, so, I, I I just uh, let's uh, here's a guy. Oh, God, I, well, I, I was gonna. We'll go to Benny. I, I was gonna go to Andy, but Benny, you're familiar with uh, uh, the the crypto media out there and the love of clickbait, the love of numbers. What was this all about? <laughs> what's what's your take on? It's just screaming about five hundred thousand. I mean, 
I will say that their prediction here is probably going to be better timed than anything Tom Lee on MSNBC has ever said in the history of time. But uh, yeah, it's definitely marketing, right? Like they've got an exchange to run. They like they're they're doing their thing. Um, the the reasoning for the the anti gold thing, I think in the long term, I. <laughs> I don't buy the like Elon Musk is on a rocket ship to to all the asteroids right away. Like that's not is that really in the near term to like ruin the value proposition of gold? Probably not. Like when I saw them sitting down with Dave Portney Portnoy and they they their one chance to get him to understand Bitcoin and they said, "Well, Elon Musk is going to mine asteroids and so gold is ruined right away." Like <laughs> it was just it was a bad shill. Um, yeah, so I, I don't buy that. I, sure, eventually that might, that that will probably be a thing. Uh, but I think in the short term, it's more that Bitcoin fixes a number of problems that gold has. If they were going to attack gold, the better way to do it is we already had a gold standard. We already had sound money. And due to some inefficiencies in gold, that didn't work. And so we're not going to go back to a gold standard because we will just go off of it again, depending on who's in power. With with Bitcoin, you have transportability and you have auditability instantly from anybody in the world. And so that fixes the issues, the, the um, over-reliance on custodians and the lack of uh, auditability of custodians when there are some, uh, that gold... Um, the issue that caused the dissolution of the gold standard. And so I just feel like their approach to attacking gold is, is pretty weak when you just say, well, asteroids are going to be mined. Sure. Eventually, but uh, yeah. So yeah, marketing, I guess that grabs some headlines uh, because it's that much more out there, but um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my thoughts on it. All right, Andy, $500,000 Wickle Voss Bitcoin gold. What's what's up? Yeah, so agree with uh, most of what you guys all said. Um, when it comes to price predictions, I, of course, uh, mostly refer to this document, which has a price prediction. <laughs> um, the prediction that I wrote in my book was $400,000, um, but that was pre that was pre pandemic, right? That was published a year ago. And that was a that was, a, you know, a 10 year price target at the time. So now nine year, I guess. But I'm more bullish now than I was then, given the you know acceleration of everything, you know the increase in debt, the increase in money printing. But it's in the same range, you know, four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, you know, similar order of magnitude. Um, I think that's right. Of course, the time. Uh, I don't know if they gave a time. Uh, did they give a timeline? No, no, yeah, of course not. So. Um, so, you know, who knows what the timeline will be? You know, will it hit it in this bull market cycle? I suspect not quite. Um, so it might take two cycles uh, or two having cycles, you know, let's say. Um, but it's entirely possible and it's, you know, sort of consistent with uh, with what I've, you know, put on, on paper, I would say. I, I do want to po – I pointed this out before. These dudes, I've said it for a while – they want to become the world's first trillionaires. And of course, 
a five hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin if they own one percent of all the Bitcoin. They 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 they'd be getting close by that point. I forgot. I once calculated how much Bitcoin would have to be for them to be trillionaires. Uh, as well, a that, that's it. That's right. Five hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin is ten trillion, and if they own one percent of, uh, I guess, uh, it, you know. You could, no, that's yeah. Well, that's that'd that, be hundred billion, I guess. So they'd be well on their way. They'd be well on their way with that. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Bezos already become a trillionaire for a moment. No, 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 no. no. It, it, that's the company. The the you know, at the, some of these companies, they they're uh, they're they're worth a trillion dollars. But the Bezos around one. He's around. He's close to two hundred. Yeah, that's what yeah. he's getting close to two hundred billion now. Yeah. He's getting so Satoshi Satoshi will be the first trillionaire, but. Uh, but, but he might uh, be dis he's deceased. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, may, may the day come soon. But dudes, uh, yeah, the, the 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 clickbait is strong among among some out there. Take it easy. You you know that your one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, and in the future you'll be able to get a house with that Bitcoin. Oh, it's going to be great. But uh, like, don't think. Well, if it's not five hundred thousand by uh, November tenth, twenty twenty three, I'm out of here or something. Okay, now let's let's go to a little bit beyond Bitcoin here. I've decided, like every week, I'm going to ask the, the the panel about this because it, it's such big news. It seeps into everything, uh, and we all lived through the ICO insanity of, of 2017, and and the DeFi thing every week just seems like it's getting closer to that, and that it's going to go beyond that. And uh, Andy, you've never been on the show before, so I've, I haven't gotten your take on. DeFi and if it will bring newbies in, if it will be the next ICO and how, I mean, this, this week there were plenty of examples. I mean, people keep, keep giving them out there. Like how decentralized is this stuff? I mean, like you trust a third party with your Bitcoin and they give you rat Bitcoin. And I mean, they could steal your Bitcoin. I mean, the, 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 the whole D part of the DeFi doesn't seem to really exist. It seems just to be a gimmick. And that some of these things are really centralized and have or centralized points of failures at least. So, well, what's your latest take on, on DeFi? It's, it's a broad subject, but it's it's something. I mean, I want to I want to get this down now so people look. In, in, you know, in the future they see what we we foresaw here. So, uh, take it away, Andy. Yeah. So, look. First disclaimer is I haven't delved that far into most of these projects. Um, so, you know, I haven't really done my due diligence in uh, in detail. But my sense is is that you're 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 spot on, and there's two levels, right? It's what are you building on top of, which is Ethereum, which is itself somewhat decentralized, except for you know everybody's running you know Infura nodes that sit on AWS, and you know it's highly concentrated in terms of the holdings, and I won't get into all the details. So so there's that level, and then I think what you're talking about is oh well, then you've got you know whoever's put out the token and whatever group is is you know controlling that, whether it's you know, a handful of people or, you know, one dev who just, you know, ships something quick. And as we know, sometimes these things have critical bugs and they literally blow up immediately <laughs> as in the case of, of yams, I think it was. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's all over the place. Um, these, m many of these things are, are sort of definitional, you know, Ponzi games, right? I mean, Bitcoin itself is a pyramid but at least uh, it's been around a long time. You know, it's it's totally transparent or as transparent as you could be in terms of the, you know, the supply and, and how it's minted and all that stuff. And it doesn't have these weird uh, feedback loops basically that cause you to, you know, lock in collateral, 
which generates a return, <laughs> you know, which which creates more collateral to lock in, which you know has this sort of feedback loop, which can uh, grow rapidly and then unwind just as rapidly. So I think it's interesting, and you know, it's I don't know, it, is it fun to watch? Is it sad to watch? Some combination. Um, if I if I want to look for a silver lining or you know something positive for Bitcoin, you know, news is news, and you know, going going into this or coming through this halving cycle, and uh, you know, through the rest of the year and into next year, if history repeats, not only will you know Bitcoin do well with uh, restricted supply and incremental demand and all the buzz and stuff and the news, but if there's other buzz in crypto in general, you know, it adds more fuel to the fire. So I guess that's the uh, that's the positive take on it. But no, no question. Plenty of people will be burned. Plenty of money will be lost. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people licking their wounds uh, after this one for sure. I, I like your I like your positive take there. That that point, that was, that was something I've talked about before. Uh, Juan Gaut, you've been over at Uniswap uh, playing around with DeFi. What, what, what's your take? <laughs> I'm just I'm just watching from the from the outside eating popcorn and waiting for it to you know burn up in flames. <laughs> I'm you know I'm hoping I'm hoping I mean this face it's it's basically so first of all they're they're fundamentally centralized and this is something that one of your guests has talked about before here on the show. Um, all of these like the majority of these smart contracts that are decentralized finance have a admin key controlled by the devs that lets them freeze the account, change the code, do whatever they want to the contract. Because this is the only way that, that Ethereum developers have managed to be able to create reasonably secure contracts is by centralizing them. Because all the decentralized ones, all the, they're, they're the big decentralized ones have all basically broken down or cracked or, you know, or have to build this sort of stock kind of structures with like democratic state sort of structures, right? So, so the way that they deal with security is they centralize it and 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 then so you're trusting the developers you're trust trusting the good faith of possibly sometimes anonymous developers sometimes public developers so they're all centralized there's not nothing d about this it's all centralized it should be called cfi just call them cfi no i i i, I think oh you there still sorry about that i uh yeah it is it is yeah. it's ridiculous how centralized are you talking about you said i had a guest on the show uh chris bleck and his yes. tweets lately. Chris yes, is great. Absolutely. Chris is He's an Ethereum great. fan. He's an Ethereum fan, but he tells the truth. Yeah. He tells yeah. the truth about it. And uh, you guys can actually check. Uh, Chris and Juan were on the same show together. It was July the July the fifth, the last year. It looks like I had them on the show. Actually, yep. they were on the show together on March the sixth this year. March the sixth. Mm -hmm. Check out the archives, people. Techbolt.com. All right. Uh, yeah, Chris is a great person. He, he tries to get the he tries to get the emotion out of the DeFi. He wants DeFi to succeed, but he calls it out when he sees the centralized aspect. So, uh, you, you read my mind. I mean, that's that's basically what I was I was when I've said it's centralized. I I go by what uh, Chris says. Some of his recent tweets have been great. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, other thing that I would say is that it's not clear to me that there's any kind of company or project behind many of these. Like, if there is, you don't see it. All you see is the numbers go up, right? But if you're if you're lending money to something, you're you're lending for a specific business purpose or for some project or for something on the back end. But it doesn't seem like a lot of these don't seem to have 
as far as I, again, I'm not an insider, but like if they don't have anything behind them, then really it's just a Ponzi. And maybe that's what it is. It's just a new version of a Ponzi. Um, so, I mean, I think everybody knows this is not going to end well. Uh, how far is it going to grow? I guess we'll see. All right. Uh, BTC Benny, what's your, your take? Oh, this is ICO bubble 2.0 for sure. It's, it's just what we're seeing from it now is just, it, it's so reminiscent of what we were seeing in Ethereum in late 2016, ramping up towards what happened in 2017. And it's, Again, like everybody's been echoing, a lot of people are going to get burned. A lot of people are going to think that they've made a ton of money, but it'll just be on paper until something implodes. Some will actually manage to get money out over time. Um, the interesting thing I find with all this is how much Bitcoin is getting locked up uh, on this, which to me would be, su I would never do that, but um, Zach Vol just four hours ago tweeted out over 51,000 Bitcoin are now tokenized on Ethereum. That is 4% more than Poloniex is holding. Uh, nearly half of what Bittrex has, more than half of what Gemini has, and around 44% of what Bitstamp has. So there's a ton of Bitcoin that is technically tokenized on Ethereum. The interesting thing about it is a lot of it isn't, um, so obviously there's there could be vulnerabilities in these smart contracts and everything like that, and that's scary. Um, not all of it is, uh, not all of it are the Bitcoin actually themselves held in or hold up uh, cryptographically in some sort of a smart contract. So a bunch of it is like with custodians. So like wrap Bitcoin, I believe that's with BitGo. Um, and so they're holding those. So at least there's like, if you're if you're already trusting centralized finance, at least there's a centralized, like somewhat vetted uh, custodian at play there. Um, but in the ones that are tied up in actual smart contracts, that scares the ever living hell out of me. Um, and then you have other ones where, like I think it was Ren BTC. That was the one that Chris Black was tweeting about. And they've like, I saw something where it was like a single Bitcoin address that was holding like 9,000 Bitcoin or something. That was the deposit address for Ren BTC. It was something insane, but like the, the risk with stuff like that are insane. And, and I think you're going to see a good number of people lose their Bitcoin because of uh, just the ineptitude of some of these custodians that are supposedly decentralized <laughs> holding this Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that we're going to see some major implosions. I think it's going to be the ICO uh, boom and crash all over again. And I also think that the regulators are looking at this, licking their chops, but, you know, regulators move slow. So it'll be after the crash of DeFi, that we see the regulators come in after the fact and be like, what did you do? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Good, good point about the regulators. That's what they did with, uh, that's what that they came in on the ICO thing at that point too, at that point. So, so after it, after it had crashed, then they started really, uh, 
coming in. But I mean, it's personal responsibility, people. If you can give up your Bitcoin for a freaking IOU, I mean, it's it's on you, dude. It's on you. I it just, I think it's insane. Also, I think it's absolutely insane that people uh, want to get on Uniswap so much that they're going to get turn their Bitcoin into nothing but an IOU, this rat Bitcoin thing. All right, so uh, let's let's get some, to uh, before we move on. So one of the things that I've been saying, and I'm going to keep sort of talking about this, is that I don't really fundamentally care about the platform that, that, that Bitcoin is used in, except for security questions, right? But if, if all of these DeFi contracts are denominating or collateralizing their debts in Bitcoin, if they're using, if they're denominating their contracts in Bitcoin, I don't fundamentally care if the platform centralized or decentralized. From a from an adoption perspective, this is exactly what we want. This is we want people to start using Bitcoin, even if it's centralized. And yeah, there's going to be security concerns, right? Now, I don't want people to invest in Ponzi's, right? But but I think it's good. It's a good sign for Bitcoin adoption that all this money is entering. It's actually like they could be denominated in, in Ethereum, but they're using Bitcoin instead because it's a better it's a better currency. That's good news. And the same goes for this INX. If they start collateralizing these security tokens and these these markets in Bitcoin and they're they're Bitcoin denominated markets, that's very good for Bitcoin. This is why Bitmex is such a great exchange for traders. People are professional traders; they see it because it's a Bitcoin denominated Bitcoin collateralized futures exchange, and that's very innovative. It's very powerful, and so I hope to see more of that. And I think we 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 want to see the silver lining on that side of things, but. All right, value your wealth in Bitcoin. Even uh, the Ethereum people do, don't they? The DeFi people do. Now, uh, so we're at the end of the show here. We're gonna get everybody's conclusionary remarks, any stories that were left out, any things they just they want to promote, talk about. Uh, we'll start with uh, BTC Sessions, who of course has got an awesome channel that you should watch. All these dudes are below the Twitter, so so follow them. But take it away, BTC Sessions. What did I leave out, or anything you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just getting very, very excited. I, I think we're on the, the cusp of another crazy uh, year next year. Um, just the way things are shaping up. It, again, I can't say it enough, but this is so reminiscent of 2016. Um, but I mean, for those people out there that maybe weren't around for the craziness that was 2017, uh, it's very easy to get distracted by everything that's going on. So keep your wits about you. Uh, try not to, to lose sats by um, dumping them into something highly speculative. Uh, what you're holding, uh, you know, the amount of Bitcoin you're holding should kind of reflect your understanding of it. And same with any investment. And so if you see something and you hear about it in passing and you don't understand it, but it sounds flashy. Maybe think twice before you dump your sats in it. Um, I did a, a post-mortem last year on uh, Brian Kelly was on CNBC and he did his, his uh, perfect, well-diversified crypto portfolio. And I, so I did a post-mortem on, on what people's money did in that. And uh, two years after that, that segment, had you went in with 10 grand at that point to exactly his portfolio allocation, you would have had 13 grand. But then when you broke it down and you looked coin by coin, what happened? All of your gains were because of Bitcoin. Uh, two coins basically kind of broke even. Maybe you made like 200 bucks total. And then the rest of the coins were massive losses, like 90 plus percent. And when you looked at your opportunity cost, 
you ended up losing half of your Bitcoin, whether you had just like bought Bitcoin from the get go. So be value your wealth in sats. That's that's what I'll say. That's how I'll end it. So be careful, uh, but excited for a big year upcoming. Yeah, man. That, I remember that was a great uh, project you did. I remember talking yeah. about it. There's too much complexity worship out there. People need to comp they diversify for the sake of diversification. Bitcoin is my crypto portfolio. Pound that like button. You don't need to have a freaking portfolio. All right, uh, uh, Juan. We're, we'll save Andy for last because he's a he's a, the new the new guy here. Uh, Juan, what's what's your what's your thoughts on uh, conclu conclusionary thoughts? Anything you want to promote? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working with Ugly Old Goat. I'm helping him build out the website. Uh, Ugly Old Goat is a Bitcoin trader. He trades Bitcoin futures, but he's trading other things. He actually made a gold play recently. That's really interesting. And he's doing fantastic. He's got a ton of free content on particularly risk management, how to manage your risk and how to, how to uh, trade in a different way, trade without trying to predict the price, without doing like uh, relying so much on technical analysis, but instead relying on risk management. And he's doing fantastic. He's the only guy in the market that publishes all his trades. And he's turned something like two Bitcoin to 30 Bitcoin three times in a row now for three years in a row. Um, so he's absolutely crushing it. You can download his CSV file if you become a subscriber and run his trades, chart it all out, have a look at it. Uh, the guy's like 70. He's an old wizard, basically. He's, he used to be a gold, uh, a gold bug and, and a gold activist back in the day. And, and so now he sees Bitcoin. He's just gone fully behind Bitcoin. So I'm learning a lot from him. And uh, I just sent you a link. It's a 15% discount to the to the newsletter. So it's very good for traders that are looking to get to the next level and to learn ma risk management. And if anybody that's interested in looking at trading, just go to uglyogo.com, go to the blog, and then just read everything that's there. He's a wealth of knowledge. I've learned a lot from him. My trading's improved a lot. So that's uh, that's what I would uh, what I'm focusing on these days. Yeah, uh, Ugly has been on the show before. People are familiar with him here, definitely. He will scare you straight with some of his <laughs> stories. Check out oh, the yeah. archives to hear that let one of the, oh, man, the stuff he's yeah. seen. And again, yeah, he's a tra uh, dude. You, you do what you want to do. Uh, here, the Meister only got a strong hand, but I did I did link to the, uh, the what you just sent me, uh, Juan Galt. There's no doubt we have gamblers here and everything, and they want to – they want to learn about that and maybe they'll get scared straight by some of the things he has yeah. to say. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right. But he, he is a character, a really good guy. And we, we've got so many unique beasts in this space. And it was great to meet him in person and you in person. And I've met Benny in person. Haven't met this dude in person yet, Andy, but you never know. You never know. So Andy here, get, you're going to talk about your book, I think. But to talk, you know, to talk about your book, talk about anything you want in there. Chances are good. And I didn't give the disclaimer, you know, none of this is investment advice, uh, obviously. Um, I'm going to key off what uh, you were just mentioning and what Sessions was saying too, which is, yeah, I, you know, to my mind, the most important thing right now as an investor is to have some Bitcoin. And uh, what Sessions was saying about, you know, not getting too distracted about other shiny things. Here's what's going to happen in this bull market, right? Uh, you're going to get friends, you're going to get family, they're going to start asking you questions. Hey, I know you're into Bitcoin or, hey, I heard about, you know, ABC, XYZ, you know, altcoin. What do you think about that? That's your opportunity to uh, keep them on the straight and narrow, right? Give them a copy of this thing, which is the investment thesis for Bitcoin and not the investment thesis for anything else. Yeah, good man. <laughs> I love it. And so, yeah, that's my message is, is, 
you know, as part of a diversified portfolio, own some Bitcoin. And that's like, you know, the most important thing. Um, and then, of course, I, you know, I stack my sats with Swan Bitcoin, swanbitcoin.com forward slash Andy. You can get 10 bucks free Bitcoin and uh, for signing up. And, uh, you know, that's the steady accumulation saving in Bitcoin concept, um, which I also am a fan of. And uh, I'm invo involved with Swan, obviously, also. Strong hand, long-term thinking. That's what we talk about around here. And, dude, as I say, every time I have a Swan guy on, which is like every week now, those dudes got tentacles all out in the community in a positive way. So many dudes just, you know, you go you go on the shows and you, you spread the word about the simple DCA, dollar cost averaging, and just buying Bitcoin. It, it's Swan has been very uh, quite a unique beast this year of 2020. Uh, when we have the uh, year-end awards, we'll have to uh, – Give 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 them a, a special one. All right, dudes, that is it. That is the end of the show. You get this weekend. Thank you, guest. It has been a rocking great combination here. Remember, we have this show every single freaking Friday. Who knows what time it comes on? It gets decided at you know a few days beforehand. But you know, you can see the archives techbalt.com. Follow me on Twitter at techbalt. Uh, new show here every day. Subscribe to the backup channel. Uh, tomorrow's show is going to be a little bit different for Beyond Bitcoin. We have a guest. Oh, it's going to be a surprise. And, all right, so just tune in. Anyway, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Have a great weekend. Check out all the links. Follow all these dudes on Twitter. And, again, I'm the Bitcoin Meister. I'm Adam Meister, the Disrupt Meister. See you tomorrow. See you next week. See you around. Thanks a lot, dudes. Spread the